0: But yeah, our Bible reading plan. So today we're kicking off a brand new series that uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Romans. And kind of coinciding with it, we want to be providing a Bible reading plan. So we've taken the book of Romans and at the very top of the reading plan, we have a couple of questions that you can ask each night. But then we give you the actual Bible. Scripture to read with the idea that over the next six weeks, uh, looking at about six days a week, so giving you one day off, uh, looking at six days a week, you'll actually walk through the entire book of Romans found in the Bible and so uh, we want to just get people in Romans as we're walking through Romans and this is a great way, this is a great way to do it. If you don't have a Bible and you're in need of a Bible or something like that, please make sure you hook up with our kind of little swag, I call it the swag case in the back and uh, make sure you take a look at our, our Bibles, those are for, are for free and we want to make sure you have a Bible uh, if you need one, okay? Cool. Kids, today the word of the day is gospel, and anytime you hear the word gospel today in today's message, make a little note of that and uh, kind of follow along. Those of you watching online, we also have some kind of interactive uh, ways in which we want to engage kids. You can find that on our website uh, under the, the online section right on the front page, uh, because we want kids to be part of this time. We don't want during this time to just send kids away. And I know so many of you families that are watching us online and have engaged with us are doing just that. I'm I'm always amazed by how much our kids and our youth are actually listening and how we're bringing them into uh, the story of what God is doing. I'm concerned, honestly, about how many churches send kids away and kind of get kids out of worship Uh, That's concerning to me because Jesus actually brings little kids to him and says, unless you become like one of these. And that's not only for our teaching to just hear, but that's actually for us to observe and watch. And it's amazing how much we'll learn from just kids even as we kind of interact a little bit with them uh, and, and actually let them be part of teaching us what it looks like to be part of the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? That's why I'm I'm so adamant about um, having kids really be in worship. That's a good thing. Uh, I have a quick image I want to show you. I was really excited about this. Check this guy out right there. That's for for tonight. Uh, Take out your phone. Tonight, set your alarm. 11 o'clock, there's a little snow guy coming. A little snow thing coming. I was so excited about that when I saw that. So tonight, I plan on probably watching the Steelers, what, Steelers-Browns? No, Steelers-Browns game. Maybe watching a little bit of that. And then at 11 o'clock, I'm going to be walking outside. You know, I'm going to try to catch some. So we got, man, we got some snow in the forecast. That's exciting to me being from Wisconsin. I got my ice fishing equipment out. I got, you know, I'm all ready to go. I'm all ready to go. Good stuff, good stuff. Hey, let's transition kind of to our message this morning. Um, we're just going to be spending the next six weeks in the book of Romans. And uh, what I want to do, what I really want to do is hear from God. Hear, hear from God. Um, this past fall... This past fall, we spent a lot of time looking at topical kinds of stuff. We looked at some different series, and I think they were really helpful, and I pray they were for you as well, uh, to continue to strengthen our faith and continue to reach into the community with the love and good news of the gospel. Um, But any time I I do a lot of series like that in a row, I'm always drawn to, at some point, kind of switch to just being in a book of the Bible. And so that's what I wanted to do entering into the new year. I'll be honest with you. I didn't spend a ton of time praying about, oh God, you know, which book do you actually want us to be in? I mean, I spent a little bit, but I wouldn't say Jesus showed up in in my bedroom or something and said, I want you to preach the book of Romans or something like that. No, it actually flowed more out of just, I kind of wanted to dig into Romans a little bit more. I'd actually spent uh, some time this fall, in my personal time with the Lord, I actually spent walking through the book of Romans, and so I was just reading a little bit of Romans each day, and, and spending some of that personal time with, with God in Romans. But anytime I preach Romans, it always allows me to even just go a little deeper, and you know, just kind of look and dig, and all this kind of stuff. And I just, I love this book so much, and I really believe that God wants to, over these next six weeks, speak to us something very specific Into our actual everyday lives, that we need to hear. And what's cool is the book of Romans is just loaded with God speaking stuff that I believe we need to hear today. I'm just like, man, we've got to be hearing because God wants to speak. God wants to speak. It was kind of interesting, just the other day I was in a situation where God, somebody made a comment about about God kind of being, um, talking to their kid a little bit about, about God not being like, you know, well, not like physical anymore, he's just kind of, you know, he's in our hearts, he's in our lives. And sometimes we talk like that and we can actually start to almost think about Jesus as not being resurrected from the dead, like physical, resurrected, bodily Jesus, And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, we almost start to treat God as if he's just floaty and just kind of feely and just kind of floating out there or something like that. But see, that's why when I say something like God wants to speak to us, what I'm talking about is actually... Jesus in the flesh, resurrected bodily Jesus, although now uh, uh, in a glorified body, right? We see this after the resurrection. And one day you and I will have these glorified, uh, resurrected bodies. And, and so, but, it, but what's cool about this is it's tangible. It's real. When Jesus speaks, it actually hits our, what is the little bone in the ear? Isn't there a little bone in there that like vibrates or something like that? That little bone actually is moving. And we're, God's hes speaking. It's real. It's, it's tangible. We, we, you know, when we, when we receive the sacraments, we receive it in our mouths and our taste. And as we hear it proclaimed to us, it's, it's audible. And we, we hear it and it's, it's real. It's not just floaty. See, when we make God floaty, when we make God just, oh, a nice little feeling or a nice little warm fuzzy or something like that, that, no, 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 no. He's real, and he really wants to speak to us. And that's why I wanted to spend some time in the book of Romans, because I really believe that he wants to do that. So I want to say a prayer, and then what I'm going to do is, it's a really easy sermon to kind of follow, because all I'm going to do is I'm going to break down uh, some some teaching on kind of like setting up Romans a little bit and, and the situation going on. And then I'm just going to lay out three quick points and that's going to be today's message, okay? So let me say a prayer and then we're going to engage this. <coughs> Father, I thank you for this opportunity <coughs> to be together to hear your word. God, as our little bone in our ears gets vibrating and ringing and then does whatever it does to, to then move to the firing in our brains so that we can understand and be brought awareness to to the things that you want to actually speak to us. I just thank you that that's how you work. Because God, right now, you don't just work in a, uh, you work through the word. So, I think of so many people. I think of dozens and dozens of people who are watching online right now. They actually, because, because this is, you, got, you work through the word, they are able to hear as well and be brought into the kind of fellowship taking place right now. It's like you had this all figured out and planned for, and it just amazes me, God. So as we spend some time listening to your voice, God, I do pray that even though you're using me as kind of an instrument in some way, that I would actually disappear, God, because every single person here this morning, nobody's here to hear Seth. We don't want to hear Seth. We want to hear your voice. Please do that, God. Please may that take place. And that's got to happen only through the power and working of your Holy Spirit. And so we invite you. We invite you to do that. Open our ears. Dig out our ears, God. So that we might hear. Sight our eyes to see, God. So that we might see. Help us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans is an incredibly important book in the Bible. Incredibly important. Almost every uh, kind of form of reform that's ever taken place in the church has come through study of the book of Romans. So if you have your Bible... I definitely encourage you to open up and just start kind of familiarizing yourself, even where it is. Okay, there's like, uh, you know how there's like the Old kind of Testament and the New Testament? Well, when you enter into the New Testament, there's a book called Matthew, and that one just kind of kicks off the New Testament. There's Matthew, then there's Mark, then there's Luke, then there's John, then there's Acts, and then there's Romans, okay? So that's how you can kind of find the book of Romans. Right before 1st and 2nd Corinthians. So Romans, 16 chapters, written by a guy named Paul, writing to, now where is he writing to? Is he writing to the Roman people all over the place? No. He's writing to the church that meets in Rome. That's where you get the, the title, Romans. He's actually writing to a church. He's writing to churches, house churches probably and most likely. He's writing to house churches that meet in Rome. It would appear that he writes this around 55, 56, possibly 57 A.D., Okay, so that's the time frame right around there that we're kind of looking at. Uh, Paul actually writes this letter. We're actually told, now some of this stuff I'm going to have on the screen and some of them I'm not. So just, you got to kind of follow with me if you have your Bible, it'll be most helpful. But at the end of Romans, there's a guy who actually says this, and I just want to quick show you this. Uh, Romans chapter 16, this I do not have on the screen. Uh, In verse 22, it says this, I, Tertius, that's not a name you want to name your kid, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Well, what the heck? I thought Paul wrote this. Well, he did. Paul wrote it, and Tertius is the scribe here writing it down for him. This would be pretty typical at this time. You'd have this kind of stuff happen because a scribe typically can get you know practiced in writing it smaller and more concise and more e- easily to read. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? I know I could use a scribe. That's one of my that's one of my goals. Actually, in our church is to hire a scribe at some point. That's what we need, baby. But but you can actually they would they would do this and so actually the guy who actually took the pen out and wrote it down was a guy named Tertius, but Paul is sitting there telling him what to write to this church in Rome, churches in Rome probably uh, probably actually house churches is what it appears to look like most of all. Now, he writes it about 55, 56, 57 A.D. That's kind of fascinating to me, and that kind of sets up some stuff. Some of this we learn as we we actually read through the book of Acts. Acts is a helpful book to oftentimes give us some direction because it kind of follows where people are at and actually kind of historically kind of what's going on. One of the things that I find fascinating, I want to bring this picture up of, of actually... Paul's uh, three, uh, three missionary journeys, okay? Uh, the first little missionary journey there, okay, so you got the Mediterranean Sea there. I just want to point out a couple quick key features. You have Jerusalem down here in the bottom right-hand corner, okay? I know some of you are looking at this and you're like, wait, isn't that Lake Livingston? no. No, this is not Lake Livingston. That's Jerusalem down there, Mediterranean Sea. Up in the left-hand corner, I just want to show you the spectrum here, is Rome. Remember Italy? Remember when you were in class and they taught you about the boot, you know, playing soccer or something like that? I don't know. But you got the little boot thing over there. That's Italy. And then up at the top left, you got Rome. Okay, that's the big spectrum of what I was like, that's maybe a helpful picture. What's fascinating, keep this up here for a second, what we find to be fairly certain about is that Paul, well actually we know this to be true, Paul was actually in Greece, not the little boot one, the next one over, he was in Greece at the time that he wrote the book of Romans. Most probably, he was actually in the city of Corinth. So I just want to point out where Corinth is. Do you see, not Italy, not that one, the one in the middle kind of, there's a little city there called Corinth. Do you see that? Just try to get your head around that. So look up at the top, very almost kind of top, there's a city called Philippi. Remember when we walked through this summer, we walked through the, the church that was in Philippi and he wrote the book of Philippians, okay? So you can kind of see the little first, the little white, the little white section there is his first missionary journey. Then it goes to his, the yellow, his second missionary journey. Then the bluish green, third missionary journey. It's on that third missionary journey, while in Greece, probably in Corinth, that he writes the letter to Rome. I want to show you a couple things. This is just for those who care about this stuff. I want to show you a couple things that why I think he's actually in Corinth when he writes this. First of all, if you turn to, um, if you turn to Acts chapter 20, verse 23, this I have up on the screen. Uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 23, he says this, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that... Imp- uh, no, 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 no. Chapter 20, verse 2 through 3. I'm sorry. When he had gone through those regions, I need a scribe. I need a scribe. What the heck was I writing? 2 through 3. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months. There he spent three months. Now, it never says he was in Corinth. Uh, specifically during those three months. But why we think it it took place in Corinth when he was writing this is because of a couple other things. First of all, Corinth is the capital of this area. And so probably he's in Corinth at this time. Also, Romans chapter 16, I want you to see this, verse 1. When he ends his letter to Romans he says he makes some connections to people's names and he says this verse 1 I commend to you our sister Phoebe a servant of the church at Sancria. Now that's an eastern port of Rome uh, of Corinth it's right outside Corinth it's an eastern port and it would seem that Phoebe is actually the bearer of this letter from Paul to The church in Rome. And she lived right there just outside of Corinth. Also, I'd direct your attention to Romans chapter 16, verse 23, uh, where he says, A guy named Gaius, who is host to me, and the whole church greets you. So this guy named Gaius is hosting Paul. Well, that does, you're like, oh, uh, how do we know that he's in Corinth? Well, if you go to 1 Corinthians, which is the next page, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 14, we don't, we don't know for sure that this is the same guy, but look at verse 14 when he writes, this is a different whole letter, he writes to the church in Corinth, and this is what it says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. Do you see that? So he writes to Corinth at one point saying, hey, I got a guy named Gaius. Now it would appear he's in Corinth staying at Gaius' house writing to the church in Rome and he tells the people in Rome, hey, Gaius also says and gives you his greetings. Does that make sense? You got to some of this you got to follow a little bit to just kind of see. And then I'll just quick point out chapter 16 verse uh, 23. There's a guy named Erastus that comes up. Erastus, the city treasurer, is also mentioned. And what's fascinating about that is in 1929, in 1929 there was an inscription found in Corinth, and you can go look at this yourself, just go look up Erastus or something like that, you know, Google it, but you can find that a guy named Erastus, Erastus, written in Latin, was actually on a little marker, a little piece of pavement, and it makes a connection that he was the, like a city treasurer kind of guy. And so it would appear, again, some of those things might not all be fully true or something like that. That's fine. It would appear, though, that Paul is writing from Corinth to Rome. Now, what he's doing, here's the setup of this. Paul makes clear to us that he is getting ready. He wants to go to Rome. He actually makes a comment about how he wants to even go beyond Rome. He wants to go to Spain. And he's almost kind of setting up the church there. Hey, I'm going to need your help to get to Spain, by the way. You know, kind of a little side note, you know, uh, I'm going to probably need some help to get up to Spain. But he's like, I really want to get to y'all to preach the gospel. But beforehand, I need to go back to Jerusalem to take money that we've raised to provide money to the poor back in Jerusalem. So that's what he's planning on doing. He's planning on going back to Jerusalem, dropping off an offering that's been raised by especially a lot of the Gentile churches, bringing it back to the church in Jerusalem before he plans to go to Rome. Now what we find out happening is when he actually goes to Jerusalem, he ends up getting arrested. Paul gets arrested He ends up appealing to Caesar after a couple years of being in jail, gets taken to Rome finally, but he didn't have to pay for his way. That was kind of cool. Don't ever, God sometimes will work in mysterious ways. But Paul gets a free trip to Rome, kind of not maybe a great trip, not maybe the, the Caribbean cruise. But he gets a free trip to Rome where he finally ends up getting to be with them. But that doesn't happen here. He's writing to this church or multiple church uh, home gatherings in Rome. This is during his third missionary journey. OK, so why does he write this letter? A lot of times Paul would write a letter to a specific occasion or a specific situation. Why would he write this letter here? Well, it's hard to fully know why or, you know, spell it all out because you kind of have what you have from the text. And in my brain, as I kind of research it and study it, I'm like, when guys go too deep, I think they're kind of reading into it a little far. I like just to kind of What makes sense is I read the book of Romans and provide some other kind of side note stuff that will help me and then kind of put together a frame of thinking. What makes sense to me is that the church in Rome had had been uh, probably started all the way back in the early chapters of Acts where the people had left from Pentecost, went back to Rome and began to proclaim the gospel and share Jesus with people there. At the time of his writing in 55-56 AD, it would seem that the early church had kind of moved from being Jewish Christian predominant to Gentile Christian predominant. And so in these churches, you have some Jewish Christians who are people who, who, are, who are Jewish by kind of before they became a Christian. They were, they were always thinking about the Messiah, the promised Messiah, the promised Messiah, And they came to believe that Jesus was that promised Messiah. On the Gentile side, you had people who were living pagan lives. Maybe served multiple gods or maybe could care less about any god or anything like that. Well, now the church is made up of both Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. And it would almost appear that Gentile Christians were now uh, predominantly kind of the main kind of group in that church. And with that came struggles. There came difficulties that they needed to navigate. And so we see Paul writing, and we'll we'll pick up on this as we go through the book. We'll see him address some of those topics of Jewish christians and and what's going on and gentile christians and what's going on and how ultimately it's not about being jew or gentile it's about faith in jesus christ do we struggle with those kinds of tensions today do we struggle with that person and this person and maybe at the end of the day it's more about our faith in jesus christ and the oneness that we have in him Yeah, we'll find that some of this is very applicable to us even today. The the book of Romans is the basic story of the gospel. It's the basic story of the gospel. He writes it in a way as to essentially say, the whole Bible, let me give it to you in 16 chapters. This is why it's so powerful. This is why it's so helpful for people to, to point people to it to say, you gotta go read through the book of Romans because if you just want a quick snapshot of what God has been up to for thousands and thousands of years, you can go read the book of Romans. A lot of Gentiles at this time didn't see all the connections back to kind of their roots in, within kind of Judaism and Israel and the Hebrew people. They didn't see that. So he brings some history there And we'll see that in some of the later chapters in Romans. He begins to bring the simplicity of the gospel to people that he had... Listen, Paul was probably never in Rome, at least he says it before he was a Christian, probably never before. He was never spent time in Rome. He didn't know these people in the most kind of intimate way, like he did with the church in Philippi. Remember how I said Paul like planted that church? He knew those people, and he loved those people like crazy. And he knows people here, but not because he was in their home in Rome or any of that kind of stuff. It was outside of Rome that he had interacted with a lot of these people. So imagine you have the good news of the gospel, and you're going to go, okay, I'm going to go give a little talk to to those people over there, and I only have about 20 minutes with them. What are you going to say? Well, what you're going to do is you're going to say, The simplicity of the gospel. I'm just going to tell you the story. That's what we see with the book of Romans. Okay, some of you are bored with that setup. That's fine. Uh, Some of you really like that kind of stuff. And so I want to make sure I meet those of you who really gravitate towards some of the historical stuff. Some of you like that and need that. I like that stuff. I like that world because it starts to build me a little bit of a picture See, some of you are just like, give me my tweetable thought for the day so I can just tweet it out. You know what I mean? That's fine. We're getting to that. But there's kind of the setup. Somebody asked me this past week, if you could just have one book in the Bible, what book would you have? I don't know. There's a lot of really good ones. But I don't think I would pick Obadiah. I don't feel like I'd pick Haggai. You know, I'm not gonna pick some of these. In you know, some of these where you're like, "What? That's in the Bible?" I would gravitate towards picking something like Romans. Like I can't do without Romans. I just if I had one book, Romans or the Psalms or Matthew or give me something that just, you know what I mean. Give me some of that. You know, I mean, if Haggai just kind of goes away, you would never, no one would even know. I'm kidding, I'm being a little, bit. but you know what I'm saying? Okay, here's my three points today that I wanna that I want to bring out. But first, we're going to read a little bit of this. Okay, we're just reading the first 17 verses. Romans chapter one. Romans chapter one, verses one through 17. Here's what it says. Look at this. Paul... Oh, there it is. There's our, there's our writer, dude. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Oh, my goodness, I could preach an entire sermon on that one verse. I'm not going to, but I could. There's so much there. Already he acknowledges that he is not only an apostle, which by the way would have been a gigantic claim, he also acknowledges he's a servant, which shows exactly what kind of leadership is needed within the church, a servant-like heart, set apart for the gospel of who? God. God. The gospel of God. Which he promised beforehand. No, Look at this. Look at him go right to history. Look at him take this incredible story and ground it in thousands of years of history. Look at it. He does it right here. Which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. With a little comma there, he's even going to keep talking, but just notice how that those little first little bit there is loaded. Do you see that? Are you following any of this? One head nod would be good. Through whom we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the the nations. And who better to write this to than the people of Rome? This is the capital of the world. If it gets to Rome, it gets everywhere kind of thing. He's like connected to you. It's going to get everywhere. I mean, just notice the power of what's going on here in this letter. To all the nations, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's my first point. The gospel as story. The gospel story. What is the gospel? What does that word mean? Does anybody know what the word gospel means? Good news, right? The Greek word is euangelion. It's the good news. It's the euangelion. It's the good news of what? what, of what? You know, he says it's the gospel of God that I'm sharing with you, that I want to say to you, that I want to say nice and succinctly in 16 quick little chapters, even though he didn't have it in chapters. In this little letter I want to send to you, The gospel, the good news of God. The euangelion. Do you remember when I preached, if you were here for Christmas, Christmas Eve, do you remember what I preached on? Luke chapter 2. Do you remember what the angels said? Behold, we bring you good news. You know what the Greek word is there? It's actually a verb. Here in Romans, it's a noun, euangelion. The verb that the the angels actually say is the euangelismos which is a verb, which actually made it, I was like, oh, if I could go back and preach that again, I'd go preach that. I was so excited about that when I found that out. I bring you good news, but it's, I don't bring you the noun. I bring you the verb. I bring you the good news. It's like, it's like breaking news. Do you see that? It's like it's happening right now. I bring you the gospel. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. And Paul is all about the gospel. He is all about, his entire life right now is bent on the proclamation of the good news of what God is doing. Everything revolves around it. And we're gonna see that kind of come out here a little bit. But the good news is a story. It's a story of reality. It's the story of the world. It's the story of humanity. And and the most pointed point is that it's the story of God and his activity. That's incredible. That's incredible. The gospel story is something we begin to see right off the bat. And Paul, especially talking to the Gentiles who are in the, the mix, and when, when this letter is being read out loud, if you didn't have any Jewish connections, and you didn't know the stories of the Old Testament, Paul makes it very clear here that this Jesus is not just a little poof, Jesus just pops up, and oh, now we serve this little Jesus guy. No, no, it is connected to a history of thousands of years of God working, Do you follow that? How many of you buy into this idea that, well, once we hit Matthew, we kind of just forget about this stuff? See, there's a lot of that that takes place in the church even today, almost to the point where we're like, well, now that we got Jesus, we don't have to worry about all that other stuff. Man, you can't think like that. No, 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 no. This is God working. This is God working. This is God working, God working, God working, God working. But you might be like, man, he sure, is he working by grace? Is he working by faith? Yes. And we're going to find that out in the book of Romans. Paul will actually make that explicitly clear. Our God is working for thousands of years by grace, by faith. That's pretty cool. So, gospel story, I just want to highlight there. And, and the kind of connection, the rootedness that it has in the Old Testament. Don't ever forget that. My second point is this. But, but before I go to the point, let me just read on. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith is proclaimed in all of the world. Now, some of that they were able to, because they had the, at Rome, because they were in the capital, they had that kind of power and influence to shoot that out to, to more and more people. I think today of our ability to be able to talk directly to people watching on live stream, the, the kinds of roads that we have, that we can operate with today to proclaim the gospel and the good news to more and more and more people. What a privilege, what an opportunity for us. Now, there's challenges with that, don't get me wrong, and there can be weaknesses even in technology, but it's amazing to me how God can work and work and work, and, and, and that's just a beautiful thing. So we just gotta always kind of be wise about that and interacting with that. But look at that. I thank my God because of how the, the, your faith is being proclaimed in all of the world, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. There it would seem that he's never been to Rome, at least as a Christian. In order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. I love that. My second point would be this. If it was gospel story, my second point would be gospel fellowship. Gospel fellowship. The kind of community that gets created through the gospel is unlike any other. We really do become the body of Christ. We really do become a body that's being made new. We begin to be the body that Jesus is working with to actually make a new people for himself that will find its completion one day in his return and in our glorified resurrected bodies. We really are a community that deals with each other in love and forgiveness and care peace. We really are a body that's unified together around the good news, the gospel of what Jesus is doing. This is why we gather together like today and we just hear again and again and again all that God's doing and all that God's doing and all that God's doing. Why? Because that's what we're around. That's We're not, we don't gather around getting a nice little tip. We don't gather around getting a nice little thought. You know, make me happy, Seth. Tell me a joke, Seth. You know, make me laugh. Put up a little, you know, a nice little gif or something, or gif. What are those called? I don't know. No one knows. Put up a little thing that makes me laugh or smile. Entertain me. No, no, no. That's not what the church does. We gather together around the gospel. We gather together around the good news. We say it. We talk it out. We share it in our families. We talk about it when, we, when, we, when, we're, when couples are laying in bed together. We're talking about the gospel with our kids, with our family. That's what we do. The gospel is good news, and it's fellowship. You know, a verse that came to me this past week, and I just had to share it. I've shared it already a bunch with some of you, but look at 1 Thessalonians. I want you to see 1 Thessalonians. This is another book that he writes. And I was just, God wouldn't let me get rid of this. I wanted to read you a couple verses from First Thessalonians. But since we were torn away, this is a different group of people, by the way, but look at the kind of fellowship he has with these people. He says, but since we were torn away from you brothers for a short time in person, not in heart, huh, how does that feel online people? Does that not speak to you? We endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you again. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Do you see that? Satan is always trying to bring division. You see it so clearly in 2021, but guess what he was trying to do in 2019? Bring division. What about 2018? Bring division, get people isolated, get people off by the, guess what he was trying to do in 2017? Move people away, drive people to lonely places. It's the same every year. Guess what he's going to try to do in 2021? Drive people to lonely and isolated places and be by... Nothing's different. Satan hinders him from coming. And then look at what he says. For what is our hope, our joy, or crown of boasting? Holy smokes. Follow me here. What is our joy at the coming of Jesus? Oh my gosh. Look at how beautiful this is. Is it not you... Is it not you? You are our glory and joy. Fellowship with you is what brings me incredible joy. I'm so saddened. You know, if 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 you're an atheist or you're an agnostic or something like that and you're here and I'm so thankful you're here. What actually saddens me is Christians who avoid fellowship. So, if you're atheist, agnostic, or skeptic, or something like that, you're safe. You're safe right now. You Christian people, you Christian people who avoid fellowship—that blows my mind. That just—and that, it's not a personality thing. It's not. I mean, it can be. I get how personality can be a driving factor to whether you know. I'm an extrovert, so I like being around people, and people give me energy. My wife is an introvert. People more drain her versus give her energy. I get that that exists. But the kind of fellowship that Paul is talking about here where he's saying, you are my joy. You're my joy. And what does the enemy do? He tries to get us to watch TV for four or five hours a night. And we just veg out. I get it. Sometimes you got to veg out. That's fine. But it's it, at night after night after night after night, and you don't pick up the phone or Zoom with somebody. You don't engage in fellowship and relationship with people. You don't connect person to person. You're not connecting with the person out to eat after church or on a Wednesday or what. We're not doing some of those things or a coworker, right? Isn't that fascinating that we've kind of sometimes missed the joy in people I, I made this comment, the joy that will be in my heart. I really believe there's, I don't know if there's going to be a better, only thing better than this is going to see my own family and kids and stuff. But, but when I round that corner in heaven one day and there's Billy or there's Sarah or there's Johnny, Susie! Man, isn't that going to be awesome? Isn't that going to be awesome? That's going to be, that's our joy, our glory, our reward. Whoa, don't, don't, you don't want to get to heaven and not know anybody. You know what I'm saying? You don't want to get to heaven and not know anybody. I mean, I get there's going to be people like that, and that'll be great, and they'll be happy for all of eternity. I'm thankful for that. But, man, there is true joy in fellowship with others, and we, we gather around the gospel. Okay, my last point is simply this. Look at Romans 1, 16 and 17. These are very near and dear to me, especially verse 16. It's kind of one of my life verses, and um, it was given to me early on. And uh, so I'm going to try not to talk a whole message on this, but I'm telling you, I could preach a whole series on verse 1, chapter 1, verse 16. Look at what he says here. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, the euangelion, the good news. I'm not ashamed of it, for it is the power of God. For salvation to everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. There it is again. There it almost would appear that there's actually more Gentiles in Rome than there are Jews. And he's just making sure the Gentiles in the room know that the Jewish people have some stuff historically that they need to be tied into. Do you see that? Do you sense that? I sense that. I'm not speaking that with authority there like that's the way it is. I'm just saying that's how I read it. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. But the point is, for in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written in the book of Habakkuk, the, the righteous shall live by faith. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is power. Yeah, you know, what kind of power? Godlike power. Gospel Power. You want something that can change a heart and a life? You want something that can change a marriage? You want something that can change a family dynamic? You want something that can change some kind of relationship? You want something that can break an addiction and get you on a, uh, uh, methamphetamines? You want something that can, t- that can break the kind of guilt that you feel for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, 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 of things that you've done wrong and mistakes you've made? You want kind of power, the kind of healing that can come through, through um to expel the demonic forces of evil in your life. You want the kind of, the, 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 the kind of power that could drive out uh, sickness and illness. The gospel, the power of God for salvation to everyone who will believe. Wow, holy smokes. Is anybody watching online? I mean, I tell those people they better be paying attention right now. This is so awesome. This is so awesome. The gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done is for you and it's for me. Jesus, God, came, put on flesh. He puts on our flesh and intertwines himself so much with us that he takes all of our bad stuff and he goes to the cross, right? He goes to the cross and he pays the price for your sin. He pays the price for your mistakes and he dies the one who created all, the one who is life, dies, and three days later he rises again, victoriously for you and for me. And he now he's so intertwined with us in our humanity because he put on flesh that he takes all of our bad and then we get all of his good, so that this word this this word righteous. Righteous will come up time and time and time again as we study the book of Romans. As you read through it over the next couple of weeks, you will see righteous and righteousness come up time and time and time again. We get that. We get his righteousness. We get all of his good. He takes all of our bad. That's the good news. And that is for every single person. That person watching online right now and you're sitting at your home and you're not even watching it right now. You're watching it next Tuesday. And you're sitting there and you know what you've done. And you know how, how, how wrong it was. I want you to know that the good news is for you. It's for each and every one of us. And it's power. It is power. What kind of power? You know, I, I have a friend of mine that I asked once, How do you, what if we ever come into a situation where there's demonic forces in a home? What do you do? <clears throat> it was kind of interesting. This is somebody I look up to very much and uh, is a mentor of mine. He said, what I do is I just walk through the house and I proclaim the gospel. And it looks like the most foolish thing Ever. And if you were videotaping me walking through, you would think this guy's, a, this guy's cuckoo. But that's what I do. I walk room to room and I proclaim, Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the dead. There is no power here. <laughs> the power of the gospel. and He just walks around proclaiming the story of the good news of Jesus. Wow. Wow. There's power in proclaiming the good news. I've shared this with you. You know, my friend who died this past summer when his wife found out that her husband had died that night. The testimony given by the pastor who gave that news is that that lady began to just say the gospel, to just tell the story of what God had done. The power of the gospel and how slow we are to speak it out. How slow we are to share that. And I resonate so much with Paul's, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God. When's the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? When's the last time I've shared the gospel with somebody? It's amazing how slow we are to share the gospel, isn't it? But it's because Paul saw the all-encompassing side of the gospel. And I don't have time to get into it, but I I could preach right now the kind of difference, the way Paul saw the gospel and how so many of us see the gospel. We think the gospel is simply for just spiritual matters. So we talk about the gospel with those people that are like spiritual people. Secular stuff we talk about with secular people. That's not how Paul operated at all. The gospel is for all. It's a story for all. And everybody's part of it. A new king has come. That would have been huge. That would have been huge at a time when Caesar was king. There's a new king. He loves you. He's for you. He saved you. Let's spend some time in the book of Romans. And my prayer is that God would speak to you what you need to hear. Starting tonight, we're starting that Bible reading plan. Just start walking through it. Start walking through that a little bit, okay? And you can find that where? On our website, right? Right on the website and on the mobile app. If you have that, uh, make sure you jump on it, okay? Let me pray for us. Let me pray for us. And um, yeah, let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for this time. My voice is, I feel like, reflective of, I know just, I, I want to just, this is how I want to go down. I want to go down not being able to talk. God, I pray that you would embolden us to share the gospel, embolden us to believe the gospel. Jesus, we know that that faith that is talked about there in verse 17 and 16, and 17, that faith is a gift from you. So today, for that person who who thinks that they need to believe harder or they need to believe faster, they need to believe more, and where that person is actually connecting that faith to themselves, like they have to conjure it up or something, God, help them to to kind of be corrected. I pray that you'd sight their eyes to see that faith is a gift from you. That's extended to each and every one of us today. The good news of what you have done for us. The good news of salvation. The good news that you are on your throne even now. The good news, God, that nothing in this world can change your power and your authority. Death itself doesn't have a grip on us. Sin doesn't have a grip on us like it used to. God, may each person today know that to be true. Grant us now that gift of faith, that strengthen our faith by the power of your Holy Spirit. Fill us, God. Fill us. Lord, I thank you for this incredible letter written to a church that needed to hear it. Thank you that we as a church get to hear it. May it open our eyes to the realities of your story. May it open our eyes to the realities of what you're doing, what you have done, and what you will do. Bless our time in this series. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.